This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, at the half hour, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello will be along, at which time I'll pull the curtain back and let you see that their lives were not always full of comedy. We begin tonight's entertainment, though, with an episode of Suspense entitled Overture in Two Keys. Suspense! Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Miss Joan Bennett in Overture in Two Keys, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Roma Wines bring you Joan Bennett in a remarkable tale of suspense. Are you feeling any better now? You know what I've been wondering lying here? What's that, Mrs. Allen? Are you really a nurse? Why, of course. Well, that stuff you keep giving me to make me sleep, it doesn't. You'd be asleep in no time, Mrs. Allen, if you'd only make up your mind to it. It's all in your mind, you know. That's funny. You saying that to me. Now then, Mrs. Allen, you mustn't keep talking. That's how it was with him. All in his mind. That's why I couldn't help him. That's why nobody in the world could help him. I know that now. But I couldn't bring myself to admit it until last night. You know where I was last night? I was at the Hollywood Bowl. It should have been the proudest night of my life. I was waiting for my husband to enter the stage and take his place as the leader of a great orchestra. Yes, I should have felt proud, but all I could feel was fear. It wasn't a new fear. It was an old fear. As old as our lives together. It began nearly two years ago. Ira and I had driven to the Pasadena station to meet a new pupil of his in from the east. I didn't have any reason to believe that this new arrival would be any different from the dozens of others who come every year to live with us and study music with my husband. Ira, I don't see him anywhere. Don't you know what he looks like? Huh? What's that, my dear? Oh, never mind. There, that looks like it might be him over there. Uh, excuse me. Are you looking for Professor Whitmer? Oh, Professor Whitmer. Yeah, I'm uh, Mark Allen. Uh, you'll have to talk to my wife. I can't hear you just now. Glad to know you, Mrs. Whitmer. How do you do? You know those uh, streamlined hearing devices you see advertised in the papers all the time, Mr. Allen? I I have one, but like an idiot, I left it at home. Well, that's uh, something Beethoven would have liked to have been able to say, Professor. <laughs> yes. But you know, Mr. Allen... I think he'd rather have put up with being plain dead. Excuse me, sir, but what about your bank, sir? We have our car with us, Mr. Allen. Right, sir. Just take the car, will you? Would you look after Mr. Allen's bag, my dear? I just did. It's the one right here. Just put the bags in the back. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Here you are. Oh, thank you, sir. I guess we can all ride in the front, can't we? After you, Mrs. Woodman. See, Mr. Allen, my wife takes care of everything. 
That's what poor old Beethoven needed. Good, dependable wife. Is this your first visit to California, Mr. Allen? That's right. Never been further west than Chicago before in my life. Well, you'll find the climate a nice change anyway. What about you, Mrs. Whitmer? You, uh, native of California? Not exactly, but the professor and I have lived here ever since we were married. It's a great tragedy. A great conductor losing his hearing like that. Oh, it doesn't worry him so much. Now that he has his own protégés. Must be hard on you, though, sometimes. Why should it be hard on me? Oh, I just thought it might be. That's all. By the way, uh, what's your first name, Mrs. Whitman? Why, uh, Frenzy. You mind if I call you that? Sometimes? Why, of course not. You can call me anything you like, Mr. Allen. Ira! There's the bell. Huh? What's that, my dear? There's a train coming. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you, my dear. I hope I didn't give you a scare, Mr. Allen. I really shouldn't be driving without that fool device. Uh, my dear, would you like to drive? You drive. We're almost home now anyway. Is uh, this where we live? Uh-huh. This is Brooksville. Nice little town we live in. I certainly hope you'll enjoy it, Mr. Allen. I'm sure I will, Franzi. That's all there was to it. And yet if he'd asked me to go away with him to Timbuktu that night, I'd have gone. But he didn't. He didn't ask me anything. He just watched me. Not like the musical genius he was supposed to be. He was rough and hard and strong. A kid from the wrong side of the tracks. A kid like me. And I was watching him. I was watching him all the time until one morning, Ira had gone into L.A. for the day. I was in the kitchen washing up the breakfast dishes. And he was supposed to be up in his room composing. But he wasn't composing any more than I was washing dishes. He was waiting for me to go up to him. He didn't have to wait long. concert at the Philharmonic. He did? Oh, I wanted him to do an errand for me. Well, that's too bad. Oh, well, it'll have to wait until next week now, I suppose. He, uh, might remember and call you. He might. That's nice. What's it called? It's an overture. Overture in two keys. Oh. You asked me that before. At breakfast. Remember? Oh, yes, so I did. I'd forgotten. But look at me. Why, the professor would kill me if he caught me wasting your time like this. Maybe that's one reason you waited until he was out of the way. Well. You want to hear the other reason? It's been on your mind ever since that first day at the station. Only you figured you'd wait. Let me make the first move. It's the way a dame always figures. Until she meets the right guy. Meaning you? I don't mean Santa Claus. What does that make me? Come here, darling. You like to play hard to get, don't you? Am I so hard to get? I've been going crazy. What do you think I've been doing? When does he get back? Late. How late? Never before six. 
Hello, darling. Six o'clock came too soon that night. It always came too soon. I think I dreaded that clock more than I dreaded Ira. We couldn't cheat on the clock. But with Ira, well, taking care of Ira wasn't a problem for any Einstein. But Mark was the one who had to do it. Mark had to fix it so that earphones or no earphones, Ira would be deaf, as deaf as an adder. Sometimes I couldn't understand why Mark got so upset over that part of it. He used to tell me that I never would understand. I wasn't a musician and I wasn't deaf. Well, anyway, I had plenty of other things to feel bad about. We both did. We were like two shipwrecked sailors dying of thirst and all we got to drink was salt water. You can stand that kind of thirst just so long. Hello. Hello yourself. Keep on playing. Oh. Hasn't he gone yet? He just called off his L.A. appointment. What's up? Oh, he thinks he's in for the flu or something. Anyway, he's staying home all day. Lock the door, baby. Keep the germs out. Mark. Yeah? He was talking about you. He said you decided to cut the course. I've taken in all about... about all he can teach me. Besides, the dough's running short. You're lying. But I'm glad you're lying. Mark, take me with you. We can go away together. Where? New York, Chicago. It doesn't matter. He'd follow us. You know that. The kind of guy who'd track us down to the end of the earth. I wouldn't mind. I would. I'd mind plenty. You mean your career as the great conductor? That makes me a heel, doesn't it? That makes you like the rest of them. That's all Ira thinks about, his career. He cares about as much for me okay, as... Okay, okay. So far as the law is concerned, you're Professor Whitmer's wife. And there isn't anything we can do about it. Isn't there, Mark? Nothing that makes sense. Mark? Does it make any sense to you? I've thought about it. You wanted to hear me say it, though. Didn't you? Don't look at me like that. Then you'd be sure I was crazy about it. Mark. Come here. If we only didn't feel this way every time. But we do. Don't we? Every time. Hello. Darling. Ira. I must apologize for lowering myself to the role of an eavesdropper. Ira, please. Then it's also regrettable that you, Mr. Allen, should presume that my affliction would affect my powers of observation. Or for that matter, my tolerance. You'll kindly make arrangements to leave my house. I guess that's about the way it is, Professor. I've already taken the liberty, or, or should I say the precaution, of reserving a ticket to New York. We have 40 minutes to get to the Pasadena station. Oh, I must talk to you. Undoubtedly, my dear. But Mr. Allen is going to catch his train. I must go get the car. You might help Mr. Allen with his packing. What time do you have? Five to eleven. Yeah. We can just make it. Mark, you're not really going. Mark! my music case. No, it's right there on the piano. Well, what about the rest of your junk? Are you leaving that behind a souvenir? It's only until I can send you a forwarding address. At least you can tell me where you're going. You heard him. New York. There's a car now. Oh, Mark. Yeah? Mark, let me know if, if you should change your mind. I won't have to let you know, Franzi. I haven't changed my mind. After he left, I remember looking at the alarm clock beside his bed. It said 11 o'clock. 
Then I thought about what I'd be doing tomorrow at 11 o'clock, and the day after that, and the next week, and the next year. 11 o'clock for all the rest of my life would be the time he walked out of that door. I wanted to cry, but I couldn't. I just sat there listening to the clock. I must have sat there without moving for hours. Then I heard the bell. My first thought was it was Ira. Automatically, I got up and walked downstairs to answer it. Hey, ma'am. You Mrs. Whitmer? That's right. Lieutenant Scott, police headquarters. Oh, you know this gentleman here? Oh, yes. Uh, you must get ready for some bad news, Mrs. Whitmer. My husband? Yes, ma'am. There's been an accident. Lieutenant, I'm an old friend of the family. Maybe you better let me tell her. You'll have to give me some address then, Mr. Allen. Call me here. Pasadena 1213. That's only a matter of the next few days, you understand? I'll stay in town as long as you need me. Pasadena 1213. All right, Mr. Allen. Good day, Mrs. Whitmer. Goodbye. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Mark. Oh, Mark, I thought I was never going to see you again. Didn't you? I think I want to sit down a minute. Mark, tell me. What happened? Quickly. It was... It was pretty terrible. I, I told him a couple of times to take it easy. He must have done 70 when we hit the main drag. Maybe that's why I didn't recognize where we were. Anyway, I wouldn't have known we were that close to the crossing until I heard the bell... He still had time. If he'd thrown on his brakes when I hollered at him, it would have been all the time in the world. Maybe he thought he could make it, or maybe he just didn't hear me. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. It was, it was too late to grab the wheel. It was too late to do anything. That was when I jumped. Mark. The next thing I knew, there were cops all over the place. There was a doc there, too. I'd been here hours ago if I hadn't had to convince him that I didn't need any ambulance. And Ira? And those cops, they asked more questions. Mark. Then. Huh? I asked you about Ira. Ira didn't need any ambulance either, Franzi. He was dead. Suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Joan Bennett in Overture in Two Keys. Roma Wines presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Joan Bennett as Franzi Whitmer with Howard Duff as Mark Allen in Overture in Two Keys. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. They held the inquest at the house. It took the coroner less than three minutes to return the verdict. Accidental death. I thought we should wait. But Mark said it wouldn't make any difference. If people were going to talk, they'd talk anyway. So a couple of weeks later, we drove down to Yuma and got married. During the ceremony, I felt a little like laughing and much more like crying. And let me tell you, if you ever get married in one of those Yuma wedding chapels, you'll feel like crying too. On the outside, there are neon lights to tell you how they do business day and night. And on the inside, everything is strictly like a funeral parlor. Artificial lilies, incense... And, of course, an organ. And do you, Franzi Whitmere, take this man as your lawfully wedded husband to happen to hold this day forward? I do. Uh, and do you, Mark Allen, take this woman as your lawfully wedded wife? 
Hmm? Mark. Uh, what? I do, I do. Uh, <clears throat> I repeat, do you, Mark Allen, take this uh, woman? Uh, yes. You're having to hold from the stay forward I until death do you pass? I do. Poor Mark. I kidded him afterwards about fluffing his lines, and he acted very serious about the whole thing and tried to make out that he didn't hear that particular part. Well, I guess every man thinks that those words are written just to make him nervous, and every woman thinks they are written just for her. At least I know I did. At first, we were as happy as any two people could possibly be. And then, it wasn't that anything changed, but I began to worry about Mark. It was as though he were expecting something. Sometimes when he thought I wasn't watching him, it almost seemed as though we were listening for something. A couple of nights ago, we had the party. It was kind of a send-off for Mark's debut at the bowl. And it was a very Tony affair. All belonged here. You can just imagine my humiliation, Mr. Allen. Right in the middle of Mimi's death scene, too. And afterwards, he had the nerve to tell me there was nothing wrong with his voice. It was stage fright. Oh, I could have slaughtered that tenor. Uh, if you'll excuse me, uh, Madam Tetra, I think my wife wants Oh, there, me. darling. Fine. Can't we get rid of these people? Eventually, I suppose. Uh, here comes Donnelly. Maybe he'll know how to cut it short. Well, it looks like a good party. You see, Miss Allen, you get an important manager and all the important artists visit your home. Now, can you get them all out of my home? Well, no, you can't disappoint your public, Mark. Um, what about playing something to sort of wind up the evening, eh? How about the overture? I, won't, I know it won't sound on the piano, but after all, it is a fa- now, where is he going? You asked him to wind up the evening, didn't you? But how can I make an announcement if he doesn't tell me what he's going to play? It wasn't anything important. Phone calls that come at a moment like that never are. It was just someone who wanted to wish Mark good luck tomorrow night. I said thanks and hung up. It wasn't until I was halfway back up the stairs that I knew something had gone wrong. Oh, my dear, you should have seen his face. It looked more like a stroke to me. What happened? Uh, There's nothing to be alarmed over, Miss Alice. Where's my husband? Uh, He's upstairs, uh, resting. What's the matter with him? Nothing at all, my dear. Really nothing at all. He was a little uh, overtired, so he went upstairs. If you ask me, Mrs. Allen, it's a plain case of stage for right. Well, I was telling him only the... I didn't wait for the rest. When I found him, he was just lying there, staring into the darkness. I wanted to hold him in my arms and tell him that no matter what, he was my guy. But I didn't. I didn't say a word, neither did he. seemed like a long while later when I woke up. I didn't want to wake up. I was tired, dead tired, so tired that waking up hurt me all over. Only this time, it hurt more than usual. Then suddenly, I was sitting upright in bed, with a chill running straight up my spine. The sound came from the music room. I fumbled for the light, but that didn't tell me anything I didn't know already. Mark's bed was empty. Somehow, I got out of bed and walked downstairs. I kept walking, till I was standing outside the music room door. 
I'd been standing at the bar of judgment, I would have still said the same prayer. That the door would be locked, but it wasn't locked. The room was in darkness, except for the small lamp on the table. And there, looking like something out of a horror picture, sat my husband. I couldn't see his face, only his hands flying up and down in the lamplight. His knuckles were wet with blood. Mark! 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 Oh, darling, darling, I had to do it. I had to do something. Talk to me. Keep on talking to me. What do you want me to say? Just keep talking and hold my hand. Your hands, oh, darling, look at your hands. Mark, tell me what's wrong. I don't understand. Everything was fine until I left the room to answer the phone. Was it a phone bell? I didn't hear any phone. Mark. I wouldn't have even known you'd come upstairs if it hadn't been for your perfume. Even then, I didn't believe it. Then I, I came down here. I played like this. I couldn't hear. And I played louder. I still couldn't hear. I, I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear. Darling, don't, don't. You're all right now. Mark, it's awfully late. What time is it? Four o'clock in the morning. It's funny. You do it, too. What did I do? Listen to see if your watch is going. Must be a reflex action. Even he did it. Mark. It always reminded me of Nelson putting his telescope to his blind eye. I don't suppose you understand about that. Even if you'd loved him, you'd never have known what it meant for a musician. To be deaf. Mark, there's only one thing I know or care about. I don't care about anything else in this world. I just don't care. Fran? Yes? You know, don't you? Yes, Mark. You've always known, haven't you? Yes, I suppose I have. I'm sorry, Fran, for you. Oh, Mark, I told you I don't care. I don't care about anything but you. Has an awful sound. Murder. As I sat watching him walk across the great stage of the Hollywood Bowl, I wanted to pray. But I knew I hadn't even the right to do that. All I could do was think of what he must be thinking. How he must have timed it to the split second. How he must have snipped the wire on the earphone so Ira wouldn't notice it. How he must have felt when they were coming to the railroad crossing and he heard the warning bell and Ira couldn't. Ira couldn't hear anything. Mark had planned it that way. He had killed my husband because he couldn't hear a little bell.
Let me through, please. Please, I have to get through. I'm sorry, lady. Uh, Mr. Allen isn't receiving any visitors. I'm his wife. Oh, of course. Uh, this way, Miss Allen. Oh, thank heaven. Really, I must... No, that's all right, Doctor. Mrs. Allen, the press are outside. You must talk to them. Mark. I heard the bell. Darling, it's all right. It's all right. I'm here with you. It's me, Franzi. Didn't you hear it? began to ring as I entered the stage. It was the bell. It took us an hour to get him to make any sense, and then suddenly he was all right. As all right as I've ever seen him in my life. The doctor was as pleased as an old midwife and insisted that it was the sedative that had done the trick. I wish he'd been right. But you see, by then I was beginning to see what was wrong with Mark. And I knew that all the doctors in the world wouldn't do him any good. But I still dared to hope that somehow I could. All right, come on, let's go. Well, don't you want me to drive home? Oh, I'm okay now. Oh, Mark. Oh, you mustn't cry, baby. I'm okay now. Oh, that's why I can cry, you goof. Mark. Yeah? Let's go away from here, right away, to Canada or someplace for a year. Longer, if you want. Even if you don't even look at a note of music, it doesn't matter. You'll be right away from everything, and then it won't happen anymore. I know it. If you'll only get away, right away. Even from me, if that would help. Well, where should we go? Uh, Florida? New York? Oh, darling. You know, it's about time you saw something else but palm trees. Let's make it New England. Up around Vermont or something. <laughs> we'll have to get you a sleeping bag or you die of cold. I love you. Me too. Why don't you let me drive? You can't with one hand. I can too. Mark, you know, I was wondering, can you get double sleeping bags in Vermont? Mark, Mark, you'd better slow down yeah, if you... Yeah, maybe uh, Canada. Mark, uh -huh. we're coming to the they crossing, there's a train. Up there. Mark! They say you can almost hear how quiet it is some places in the woods up there. Mark! Mark! That's how the music ended. They told me today that he was dead before they got us to the hospital. I'm going to live. Isn't that swell? Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. R-O-M-A. Roma, America's favorite wines. This is Ken Niles returning to our stage with a lovely star of tonight's suspense play. Glamorous favorite of movie-going millions, but a newcomer to suspense fans, Miss Joan Bennett. Welcome to the suspense family, Joan, and congratulations. Your performance was wonderful. Thank you, Ken, but I'd like to share some of the compliments with Howard Duff, who played the composer so wonderfully. And as a token of our appreciation, here's a gift basket of Roma wines from Roma, America's greatest vintner. Thank you, Ken, and thanks to Roma. Among the fine Roma wines in your gift basket, Joan, is Roma Muscatel, a wine to add warmth to your welcome when friends drop in. A delightful taste treat with desserts, too. Rich in the tempting fragrance and distinctive taste of the world-famous Muscat grape, Better-tasting Roma Muscatel is a mellow, satisfying wine born in California...
praised by Americans from coast to coast. Yes, Ken, Roma Muscatel certainly is delicious. And here's why, Joan. Roma Muscatel, like all Roma wines, begins with choicest grapes. Then Roma Vintner Skill and America's finest winemaking resources guide these luscious grapes unhurriedly to tempting taste perfection. Later, along with Roma wines of years before, this rich grape treasure awaits selection from the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. No wonder more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. You convinced me. And now may I remind our listeners of something? 1946 saw the worst epidemic in 30 years of infantile paralysis. We must fight this brutal child crippler and guarantee medical care and treatment to all victims. Join the March of Dimes. Send your dimes and dollars care of your local March of Dimes headquarters today. Thank you and good night. Joan Bennett appeared through the courtesy of Diana Productions, producers of The Secret Beyond the Door. Tonight's suspense play was written by Pamela Wilcox and Malvin Wall. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Roddy McDowell as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Stay tuned for the thrilling adventures of the FBI in peace and war following immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Abbott and Costello next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Now, they enjoyed many successes over the course of their time together. Still their most popular comedy routine, still undoubtedly the iconic Who's On First routine. But by the mid-50s, the two had started to experience career burnout. And in 1957, they formally dissolved their partnership. Ultimately, it seems as though the slow point in their career wasn't the only reason for Bud Abbott and Lou Costello's separation. According to reports, Abbott and Costello harbored ill will toward each other for years, beginning way back in 1945, when Abbott reportedly hired a maid who had previously worked for Costello. Apparently, Costello took their feud to the press, kick-starting many years of fighting and bad feelings. But in spite of the bad blood between the pair... They made some incredible contributions to the world of comedy over the years, so their ultimate legacy is a positive one, really. And now let's hear tonight's episode, Sam Shovel. Hey, Abbott, what time is it? It's time for the Abbott Costello Show. We're on the air for ABC here in Hollywood. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go with the Abbott and Costello Show. Yes, it's the Abbott and Costello Show, produced and transcribed in Hollywood for your listening and laughing pleasure. Chuckles with a carload and music by Matty Malnick. So hold on to your chairs, folks, for here they are, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Quiet down. Get some money, quiet. Right, quiet down, quiet down, quiet down. Quiet down. 
What are you doing with those boxing gloves? I'm going to enter the Golden Gloves tournament. I've been training. You a prize fighter? Yes, I'm known as Butcher Boy Costello. Butcher Boy Costello? Yes, I gave my opponent a left to the heart, a right to the kidneys, a left to the chops, and a right cross to the short ribs. And then? He knocked me on my pot roast. <laughs> you don't even look like a fighter. Being strong is all in the mind, you know, Costello. It is? Sure. You, you have to think strong. Think of Atlas, and you, you'll have a shape like him. Think of Hercules, and you'll have a, a shape like his. That method won't work with me, Abbott. Why not? I keep thinking of Rita Hayworth. I... <laughs> what do you think will happen to you if you got knocked around and got punched, drunk, and goofy? I can always be a straight man like you. Sure you can. <laughs> How do you think you'd look with a cauliflower ear, a mushroom nose, and a squash face? I'd be the only guy in Hollywood with a built-in home garden. I... <laughs> Costello, you're a moron. Uh, what's that? You're a moron. That's enough, Abbott. One more word out of you and I'll fight. Idiot. That ain't the word. <laughs> Costello, you're in a class with an imbecile. I know. Want me to help you out with your homework? I'll get him out of here. What happened to you? What happened? Yeah. You know what happened. What? I don't get a chance to do nothing on the show. Oh, stop. Oh, I went to that quiz show. Truth or coincidences? Uh-oh. <laughs> they asked me a question. When I, when I didn't give them the answer, they hit me over the head with a, a crowbar and ripped my clothes off and hit me in the face with a pie and squirted dirty water all over me. Well, that's terrible. Yeah, but the joke was on them. It was? Mm-hmm. I knew the answer all the time. <laughs> You should quit hanging around quiz shows trying to win something for nothing. You ought to get yourself a job and go to work. I tried to. I studied to be a bartender. I went to the bartender school for two years, and I still can't get a job. Why not? I can't fix a television set. I... <laughs> I, I thought so. You're just stupid. Your whole family is stupid. Oh, uh, how can you say that? My Uncle Mike is a very brilliant man. He invented the cotton gin, the telephone, and the steamboat. What about Whitney, Bell, and Fulton? Leave the Andrews sisters out of this. I... <laughs> Uncle Mike doing now, Lou? He's part-time lifeguard at the Del Mar Hotel swimming pool. Are you kidding? Uncle Mike can't even swim. That's why he's only working part-time. <laughs> he had a lot of trouble with Aunt May last week. He did? Yeah, he got her a new set of false teeth and he told her not to take them out. He begged her not to take them out. He pleaded with her not to take them out, but she did. And what happened? Her head collapsed. I... <laughs> well, your Aunt May is quite a woman, Lou. 
She, wa- she raised quite a family. Oh, yes. Three yeah. years ago at the Patterson Fair, she won first prize for having the most little boys in one family. She well, had 15 little boys. Mm-mm. What was first prize? A little boy. A little... Uh... <laughs> Never mind that. Whatever happened to your Aunt May's uh, younger sister? Oh, she graduated from high school this year, and she's so excited she's going to Harvard. Harvard? Harvard is a boys' school. Yeah, that's why she's so excited. I... <laughs> She's going to Harvard. That's ridiculous. None of your family ever went to college. Is that so? Mm-hmm. I'm taking a night course right now at UCLA. Well, no, I'm glad to hear In other words, that. that's UCLA. UCLA. Well, that's right. UCLA. I'm glad to hear it, Lou. Uh, how are you making out? Not so good. Monday night, the teacher asked each pupil to bring something that would show what they want to be when they, when they get out of school. Well, now, it sounds interesting. Yeah, one guy wanted to be a policeman, so he brought a button off a policeman's uniform. One girl wanted to be a nurse, so she brought a button off a nurse's uniform. Another guy wanted to be a fireman, so he brought a button off a fireman's uniform. And what did you bring? Nothing. Why not? I wanted to be married. How are you going to get a button off of that? <laughs> you want to be married. You don't know the first thing about marriage. You don't even know what it takes to make a marriage. I do so. It only takes two people to make a marriage. Well, that's right. A single girl and an anxious mother. I... <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, marriage is a three-ring circus. What do you mean a three-ring circus? Well, first, the engagement ring. Yes. Then the wedding ring, yes. and then suffering. Oh, stop. <laughs> Are you still going with that striptease dancer at the burlesque show? Oh, sure. Every night I bring her three roses. Does she wear them? She has to. It's her custom. <laughs> what about that new girl that moved in the apartment next to you? Well, I tell you, but I had a date with her, and she's a bachelor girl. Well, what makes you think she's a bachelor girl? She looks more like a bachelor than she does a girl. <laughs> How old a girl is she, Lou? Abbott, asking a girl's age is like buying a used car. What do you mean? Well, you know the speedometer has been set back, but you don't know how far. (laughs) Where where did you take her on the date? Well, we went to a soda fountain and had one of those fancy dishes. You know, ice cream and bananas. Split? No, I paid the whole check. (laughs) Well, she doesn't sound like... She doesn't sound like the kind of girl for you, Costello. Tell me, do you, still, uh, do you still date that cute little uh, blonde from Pomona? Oh, sure. I had a date to go horseback riding with her last night. You did? Yes, we rode along through the moonlight. It was beautiful. Her horse was nuzzling my horse. My horse was nuzzling her horse. Ah, it must have been fun. It was for the horses. My girl didn't show up. <laughs> I guess she saw it me because I bought her mother a girdle, and her mother got mad, too. Well, uh, what size does her mother wear? Small, medium, or large? Oh, no, no, no. Women's girdles don't come in those sizes, Abbott. They don't? Oh, no, no. What sizes do they come in? Large, larger, and here comes the showboat. <laughs> Hello, Uncle Bud. Hello, Uncle Louie. It's Abbott's nephew, folks. I left orders with the doorman not to let you win. Now, how did you get past him? I held your script under his nose and then stepped over his body. <laughs> There must be a way to keep this guy out of here. Now, I've got it. I'll hypnotize him. Come over here, Norman. Oh, uh, now, wait a minute, Costello. What are you going to do to him? I'm going to hypnotize him and put him to sleep. Look me straight in the eye, Norman. Okay. You're going to sleep. Abba-dabba, sleep. Abba-dabba, sleep. Abba-dabba, sleep. I think it's working, Uncle Louie. It is? Yeah, my abba-dabba is asleep. <laughs> You lay off, Norman. He's my sister Olive's boy. And Olive's a very lovely person and a big woman in this town. I noticed that. Your sister Olive is built like the state of Indiana. Uh, Just what do you mean? She has a large South Bend. Uh, 
My sister Olive is a leader of society. Before she moved to Hollywood, she was the rage of Kansas City. Your sister Olive would throw any city into a rage. I... <laughs> she came to the right place when she came to Hollywood. She's a typical Hollywood girl. What do you mean? A Hollywood girl at 30 has wrinkles. At 35, she has gray hair. And at 40, she becomes a blonde and starts all over again. <laughs> what you want about my sister Olive, but she's a very well-educated woman. She's a college graduate, and she has a sheepskin. I noticed that. She ought to try using Jergens lotion. I... <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you have no business ridiculing my family. Now, last week, you were picking on my wife. My wife comes from one of the finest families in California. She's a Tracy. Any relation to Dick Tracy? Uh, <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not. Dick Tracy's a character in a comic book. Your wife is no oil painting. I... <laughs> Hello, boys. Hey, look, Costello, it's our secretary, Viola Vaughn. Well, Viola, 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 you certainly look lovely tonight. What is that you're wearing? Oh, do you like it? This is my nightclub dress. Nightclub dress? Uh-huh. Don't you get it, Abbott? No cover. No cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you look gorgeous tonight. You and I would make a lovely pair. We'd be just like a couple of lovebirds. Would we? Oh, I'll show you first. I put one wing around you like this. Uh-huh. Then I put my other wing around you like this. Then I put... Then I beak up close to your beak. Then I coo softly. Oh, what do I do? Don't stand there, Viola. Drop a worm in his mouth. <laughs> Shut it out. I'm serious about her. And you're not. Why, Viola... I'd bring you the moon on a silver platter. Oh, that's wonderful, Abbott. How about you, Costello? Would you bring me the moon on a silver platter? Well, I look like a waiter. <laughs> the moon on a silver platter is a poetic expression like they use in songs. Oh, you know I wrote a song about the moon? A very beautiful thing, too. Oh, what's the name of it? I call it Carolina Moon, What Are You Doing Over Glendale? <laughs> Stop, Costello. You know nothing about writing songs. Oh, I not only write songs, I sing them. Why, when I was in kindergarten every morning, I would get up in front of the class and sing Rockabye Baby all the way through. Why, that was marvelous. Yeah, there was nothing to it. I was 21 years old at the time. <laughs> you know any other songs, Costello? Oh, every night I lay in bed and I sing an Irish lullaby. Did that put you to sleep, Costello? Certainly, you don't think I'd stay awake and listen to that howling, do you? Well, I saw you last night, Costello. I saw you. You had a cat on a leash. Hey, that certainly is a funny-looking cat. Is he yours? Yes, he's mine. He's a football cat. I call him First Down. What do you name the cat First Down? Every night, he's got ten yards to go. Well, instead of being out walking a cat on a leash, a boy your age ought to be out with a girl. Well, I like cats better. They're smarter than girls anyway. What makes you say that cats are smarter than girls? Well, Abbott, no matter how a girl tries, she can't wash her face with her tongue. <laughs> Pay no attention to him, Viola. Why don't you come over and see the preview of, of our new picture, Viola? Huh? I do some love scenes in the picture, and I, I want you to see my, my fade-out kiss. You mean she'll see your faded-out kisser? <laughs> Anyway, Viola has got a date with me. Well, I don't think I'm going to keep it, Costello. Why not? Well, last Sunday he took me riding and he insisted I wear a riding habit. Naturally. Monday he took me hiking and he insisted I wear a hiking suit. Naturally. 
Tuesday, he took me to dinner, and he insisted I wear a dinner gown. Well, why are you breaking the date tonight? Tonight, he wants to take me to a birthday party. Uh... (laughs) Well, that did it. It's been a lot of fun, and it's been a beautiful evening up to now, Mabel. Mabel? My name is Viola. Well, whatever your name is, it's certainly been fun. Get him out of here! gentlemen, Abbott and I heard a young singer in New York several weeks ago, and we liked him very much, and we brought him back to Hollywood to join our show, and here he is, and we hope you like him too, Hal Winters. El Kumba, 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 Kumbanchero, a bongo, 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 cero. Brigadiki va suonando con bancero, bango cero che se va, bango cero che se va. El kumba, 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 kumbancero, a bango, 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 bango cero. Brigadiki va suonando con bancero, bango cero che se va, bango cero che se va. Y sueñori tambo, brigadiki, bom, 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 ba. Is when you're Boom, 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 ba. Kumba, 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 kumbunchero. A bango, 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 cero. Rikadiki va suando, kumbunchero. Bango, cero, que se va. Bango, cero, que se va. El kumba, 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 kumbunchero. A bango, 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 cero. Rikadiki va suando, kumbunchero. Bango, cero, que se va. Bango, cero, que se va.
Bongo Cerro Casabo. Castella, something's got to be done about the parking conditions around this studio. Tonight, I couldn't see a parking space in front of the studio, in back of the studio, or even across the street from the studio. Could be worse. Uh, what do you mean? Abbott, yeah, suppose you had a car. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> well, never mind that. Did your Uncle Mike drive you down here tonight? No, my Uncle Mike just took his California driver's test today. You should have seen him. He got in a car with the inspector, backed into a truck, bumped into a streetcar, and then he crashed into a stone wall. Did he pass? We won't know till next Wednesday. Why not? That's the day the inspector gets out of the hospital. <laughs> uh, did your uncle Mike go to see his favorite uh, program, What's Doing, Ladies? Yes, and there was a line in front of that studio two blocks long. Uh, never mind that. How did he like What's Doing, Ladies? I don't know. By the time he got in, they were through doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> You know, your uncle Mike is an ignoramus. He ought to get himself an education. Yes, he's got one, Abbott. Why, ten years ago, Uncle Mike was a garbage collector without an education. Then he went to night school and he graduated. And what a difference that made in him. What is he now? A garbage collector with an education. <laughs> well, never mind him, Costello. What is your Sam Shovel detective story for tonight? It's a fascinating case, Abbott. I call it the case of the curbstone murder or Gertie get out of the gutter. <laughs> And let the water go by. <laughs> sounds intriguing. Let's get on with the case. Yeah, let's do that. And now, the makers of Smudge Pot Cigarettes present the further adventures of Sam Shovel, private detective. But first, a word about our product, Smudge Pot Cigarettes. Smudge pots are the only cigarettes that contain no nicotine, no harmful tars, no tobacco. <laughs> These cigarettes are made only from the finest domestic and Turkish towel. <laughs> and remember our slogan Smudge pots are the only cigarettes that contain alum. Our slogan is Pucker while you puff. <laughs> Now go to your cigar store tonight. They will give you a package of smudge pots for nothing. The package has no sharp edges. Take them home and throw them in your dresser. What a cigarette. So free. So easy on the drawers. <laughs> and now to the adventures of Sam Shovel, private detective. <laughs> Yes, I'm Sam Shovel, private detective. I'm sitting in my little office looking at my new office safe. This time I got a real office safe. When I go home at night, I lock my office in it. <laughs> I see a piece of string around my finger. Suddenly I remember what it's for. It's to remind me to take the string off my finger. <laughs> I reach in my pocket for my tobacco. There's a big hole in my pocket. That's the last time I'll buy chewing tobacco. <laughs> it always chews a hole in my pocket. This detective racket is plenty tough. You've got to work in all kinds of weather. Just listen to that wind howling outside. I'll give you that if you'll give me this. I'll give you this if you give me that. It's a trade wind. 
It was such a nice night as this that I was called to solve the famous farmyard murder. A fiendish farmer had cut off his hired man's head. He hid it in the alfalfa. What a tough case. It was like finding a noodle in a haystack. <laughs> I decide to shave. I lather my face. The razor hums through my whiskers. St. Louis woman with all her diamond rings. I always use Gillette Blues blades. <laughs> I decide to dial up a little in case a client should come in. I put on my swallowtail coat. I take it off. Seems silly for a man my age to wear a coat made of swallowtail. <laughs> I noticed the headline in the morning paper. The country is in a strange position. On the next page, it says, eggs are going up. Chickens must be in a strange position, too. <laughs> Suddenly, the phone rings. Hello? Yes, this is Sam Shovel, the detective. Somebody that wants me to handle a case. Yes? No. No, I can't work that cheap. No, no, you know my prize. What's that? Five thousand? Okay, I'll take the case. Right, five thousand. But remember, all Tootsie Rolls, no jelly beans. <laughs> I thought of my friend, Lieutenant Abbott of the Homicide Squad. I might get him to help me on this case. Some people think Lieutenant Abbott has a screw loose in his head, but I know different. I tightened that screw in his head only yesterday. <laughs> One thing I will say for Lieutenant Abbott, he knows his onions. He can walk in any vegetable store and say, that's an onion. <laughs> but he's a real cop. Abbott don't know the meaning of the word intimidation. And that's only one of a million words he don't know the meaning of. <laughs> Hello, Sam Shovel. It's my pal, Lieutenant Abbott of the Homicide Squad. Sam? I'd like to leave my new cowhide briefcase in your office. That's a pretty briefcase, Lieutenant. Yeah. It's genuine cowhide. Open it. Moo. <laughs> the cow is still hiding in it. There's a picture of your wife in it, too. <laughs> she looks kind of different in this picture. It's her hair. She's wearing a page boy. Don't she look nice? It's hard to tell. The page boy's feet are hanging down over her face. <laughs> Enough of this nonsense, Ham. The cops caught an old friend of yours last night. Shirley, the shoplifter. Beautiful Shirley, the shoplifter. I once trailed her through a department store, through the shoe department, through the jewelry department, the furniture department, then I caught her in men's underwear. <laughs> this is serious, Sam. Shirley is in the prison hospital. She's unconscious. She keeps moaning, Harry... Perry! Perry! You must be in the state of Como. <laughs> Sam, if you want to see Shirley alive, we better get over to the hospital at once. Let's go. We arrived at the hospital. We were walking down the corridor. I was reading the signs on the door. Dr. Kildare, surgery, back in 10 minutes. Dr. Nichols, surgery, back in 15 minutes. Dr. Condon, perjury, back in 20 years. Sam, here comes the doctor that's taking care of Shirley the shoplifter. He looks like a phony to me. I heard that, young man. I'll have you know that I've operated on over 300 patients and I never lost a single one of them. You didn't? No, I know where each one of them is buried. 
Doctor, can we go in and see Shirley now? Yes, but don't stay too long, please. The patient must not have too much excitement. Why not? How do I know? All the radio doctors say that. <laughs> My goodness. Aren't you Sam Shovel, the detective? That's me. Man, from the looks of you, you need medical attention. Uh, Shovel, if you'll come here tomorrow between 2 and 4 or between 6 and 8, remember, between 2 and 4 or 6 and 8... I'll examine your head. Why can't I come between four and six? That's when they're examining my head. <laughs> come on, Sam Shovel. Here's Shirley's room. Uh, oh, poor Shirley, my poor Shirley. Sir, who are you? And what are you doing here? I'm Shirley's father. She's in the next room. She's got appendicitis. None of the doctors will operate on her. I'm afraid she'll die. Cheer up, friend. I will operate on Shirley. You? I thought you were a detective. Before I became a detective, I was known as young Dr. Shovel. <laughs> Are you sure you can do it, Sam? Am I sure I can do it? Certainly. I'll skin out to the car and get my satchel of surgical instruments. <laughs> Thank goodness he's got his satchel. She's right in there, Sam. Here I go. Has anybody got a hammer? Here's a hammer. Thanks. Anybody got a chisel? Here's a chisel. Anybody got a blowtorch? Wait a minute, Sam. Sam, hammer, chisel, blowtorch. What are you doing to Shirley? What, Shirley? First, I got to open my satchel. Costello, with Sam Shovel, you were really digging them up tonight. <laughs> Get it? Shovel? Digging them up? <laughs> it's a joke, son. I dug up a joke. Yes, and you'd better bury it again. <laughs> Abbott, let's leave the jokes to our writer. You mean we got writers? Oh, he's only kidding, folks. He knows our writing staff. We're headed by Eddie Foreman with Paul Conlon, Pat Costello, Martin Ragaway, and Len Stern. And I know that our producer is Charles Vander. That's pretty good for Abbott, folks, when you consider Vander's only been on the show two years. <laughs> Good night, folks. Good night, everybody. Good night. Listen each Thursday night at this time for another great Abbott and Costello show, produced and transcribed in Hollywood. Be sure to stay tuned for the outstanding entertainment which follows throughout the evening on this ABC station. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nightbeat, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.